Frisco Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Wyatt from the Iowa Bicycle Coalition. And I'm TJ Jeskowitz from RAGBRAI. This is the show where we talk about bicycling just for the fun of it. There's going to be tales from all across the RAGBRAI nation. A whole lot of fun to be had on a bike. What do you think? Come for the bikes, stay for the fun, leave with a smile. That's, That's what we're talking about here. Just go bike. Yeah, well, well, we're here in beautiful, beautiful downtown Iowa City. Exactly. Just had a tasty meal at, <laughs> at Gray's, I believe. Yeah. Is the name of the place. Not like Gray's, like Gray's Anatomy, but like Gray's like a cow. Yes, and that was exactly what we did. We ate too much food. Anytime you got tots involved in a meal, <laughs> it's good. Tots and chicken lips. That's their main forte. Yeah, and it's going to be kind of in the heart of the Ragbri Village, if you will, of right. of the entertainment zone, and so right on the the Ped Mall of Iowa City, and so I think if um, if they're up to feed lots of hungry bikers, they're going to do really well that night. Yeah, and this place knows events. I just attended both sessions of World Cup wrestling this weekend, the Freestyle uh, World Cup, and that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it snowed a lot uh, this uh, <laughs> this week, so uh, I've had enough of it. Have you? Ugh. Just when you thought you had enough of it, it snowed again. <laughs> and, you know, we, we drove over this morning, right. go to the Davenport meeting, and we go through a snowstorm. And, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of snow. It's the fact that it's still snowing in the Midwest and still snowing <laughs> in Iowa and still accumulating in Iowa. And, and we're done with it. And uh, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, the interesting thing, I was, I was talking to um, – uh, Ryan Baker today, you know. Oh Ryan. yeah, Ryan from World of Bikes. Yeah, and and he said, you know what? It's good for bike shop sales when they have a big, big sale because people aren't out riding bikes. They're they're coming to look True. at bikes. True. And so I didn't look at it that way. I thought maybe it hurt bike sales. So maybe I'm learning a little <laughs> bit different that it's not bad because more people are thinking about biking instead of biking. He's running a super sale this week, so he's got the ten out front. Yep. Sorry. And show he had a picture on Facebook with snow. <laughs> coming down across the tent with a big sign that said spring sale <laughs> can you sue him for false advertising yeah uh, no, no 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 but yeah spring with an asterisk yes or was he talking some kind of bike spring involved or something like I that i don't know yeah could be hmm. yeah no we're getting that close we're just we're just on the the cusp of being able to get outside and enjoy ourselves well, good well, lots of cool stuff happening right now. I know we've we've reached the rag ride deadline. We've got lots of people that are mm-hmm. that are coming. We're we're just plugging away meeting with towns this week. Sure. And I think all of them are in really good shape. I, I will tell you this: we had over forty pass through towns and mm-hmm. tenants at our pass through town meeting wow. this weekend. Wow! And we had it names over at Jethro's there. That's some really good brisket, by the way. Oh, and uh, nice nice Jethro's right there on Duff Avenue, mm-hmm. and. Oh, just they were just thirsting for information about how can we make this event even better for the cyclists. So uh, I think, uh, you know, people came away with that, some great ideas, and they're just fired up to get ready to host Ragbrook. So, you know, when I'm riding this event, it is not, um, it is designed. So all these towns kind of follow the same sort of uh, formula, don't you think? I mean, in a way, yeah, they, they all with put, their own personal flair. They all put their spin on it, but 
you know, that there's always a beer garden. There's always free water outside at the edge of town. That, yeah. I mean, there's a formula that works that these bike towns shop. are following. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that, that kind of stuff. I mean, just we want to make it fun for people. Don't gouge them. Right. You know, people people don't want to take a tour of the town. You know, we don't want to go up and down Main Street and over the river and through the woods. You know, they, they want to just get to the good stuff. Right. And uh, I think I think they get that. Uh, provide them a good time at, at a fair price and people will come back. So anybody that thinks these things spontaneously happen, no. they don't. They're very much designed sure. for the enjoyment of the event. And it, and it works. And well, we've been doing it for 46 years, so we might as well keep doing it, I'm guessing. Right. You know, right. Not, nothing is perfect. Sure. We can always improve upon it. Sure. But we don't want to improve upon it that much. Right. Yeah. Right. So things are good. Okay. Well, I know we've got a, a busy show, Mark. I actually had a great conversation with my buddy Steve Cannon. And I don't know if you know Steve, one of the, the bad boys. Which which adventure is he on now? He, Well, he's back. He's thawing out. <laughs> and uh, so Steve, if you don't know, he's the one that, that hauls the charcoal grill. Don't call it a gas grill. And he's, sure. he's got that on the back, the back of his rig. So an extra 100 plus pounds. But this adventure, anyone that's complaining that, hey, it's too cold to ride today. Or uh-huh. my ride was too hard. He just spent five days pushing his bike, his sled, if you will, across the Yukon. Oh, God. Five days in temperatures that are like 28 below zero. Did did he run around Lake Michigan? Was that? Same guy. Oh, geez. So, uh, and we're also, hey, he's written a couple of books. And uh, um, if you you check out our website, we're going to put a link up there to get his free ebook. So, free ebook about some of his adventures. So, fascinating guy. Mm -hmm. If you ever see him on Ragbride, just, just, you know, just pull up and and ride with him for a while and just talk to him. Just truly just a really cool dude. And uh, we've, we talked to a couple of the other bad boys earlier Mm -hmm. on this Just Go Bike podcast, Mike and Bill. And they were just. They were, they were some characters. So, uh, nice. so Steve, Steve's got some great tales. And if this doesn't inspire you to at least, you know, start that journey, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what will. Sure. Let's just go back. Well, this is TJ with the Just Go Bike Podcast, and I'm here with my friend Steve Cannon just come back from a wonderful adventure and uh, for those that don't maybe know the name Steve Cannon you might have seen him and his buddies on Ragbri. We actually talked to a couple of those guys, Bill and Mike, uh, one of the earlier podcasts, but they're some of the, the, the crazy riders of Team Bad Boy. But we're not going to talk too much Team Bad Boy today because um, Steve just got back from Alaska, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about the adventures that, that he had riding his bike or, or pushing his bike, if you will, <laughs> uh, across the frozen tundra of, of Alaska. So how are you doing this morning, Steve? good man <clears throat> i love the uh, sound of my friend steve it's always fun hanging out with you man it's- well good well i tell you what you know I, I followed your adventures a little bit over there and i think i think everyone was pulling for you you know as they followed your trials and tribulations of of just just an amazing event and um you know you got a lot of friends when you when you ride bike uh, across our state you pick up friends along the way and you've been riding bikes for pretty much your whole life i'm guessing so you've come across a few friendlies along the way haven't you there's no doubt about that it's in iowa 
Ragbri especially, there's no better place to to make those friendlies than over the twenty some years that we've been doing it. Yeah, we've we've made a lot of friends, and uh, we're all in the same boat. In that, if you're in the biking community, then that's really the only thing you got to punch on your ticket. That that makes you a, a friend of mine, whether you're going one mile or a thousand miles. So one mile or a thousand. So let me let me get this straight. Something popped in your head. Let's go all the way halfway across the world, and let's go do a bike ride in Alaska. So how did that notion of, eh, you know, I'm a guy here in Des Moines, Iowa, I ride my bike around. And and obviously you're wired a little bit different than some people because you like that uh, different type of adventure, I'm going to say kindly. But what what popped in your head to say, that's what I want to do? It's a great question. And everything everything is in steps. I don't I can't be certain of this, but speaking of my uh, past and how my journeys went, it it didn't just start, you know, I'm 28 years old, I think I'll go get a bike and I'll go to Alaska. You know, for me, it started on Ragbri, really, when it comes to the bike, and, and uh, I'd heard about it growing up, but for me, it started with, it was day four, I was driving an RV with some friends. My buddy's backside was sore because he hadn't trained any, so he wanted to take a day off. And he was five foot seven, had an old beater mountain bike, and he was like, "Hey, you want to go ride a few miles of Ragbri? Because I don't feel like it today." And so that's where it started for me. I hopped on I hopped on a bike that was half the size it should be and I rode 10 miles from one town to the next and in some ways I felt every bit the adventurer finishing those 10 miles on Ragbri 25 years ago as I did finishing the I did a rod trail race that I just came back from Alaska. So that that's where it started for me and I I still say it's just as epic for anybody that's starting a journey as it is, you know, so it didn't start with just, you know, let's go to Alaska. It was mm-hmm. one thing led to another. And eventually I read, rode one whole day of Ragbri, which was a big, huge thing. And eventually then, wow, well, look at those people with all the gear on their bike. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll try that. And so it's, it's a progression. Well, you got to start with one, one paddle. That's you know, it. get that first That's one, it. and then comes the second pedal, and then, you know, you do a day, you do a week, you do, you're carrying your own gear. I mean, there's a natural progression. Again, you know, for someone to say, oh, I think I'm going to put a gas grill on the back of my bike. Whoa, whoa. Know, as a charcoal, first, dude. Charcoal. 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 No, right. no well, self-respecting. I'm just, I'm just saying, if, you know, <laughs> someone comes up with this notion, um, they've seen the gas grill. No. Seen the charcoal grill. They've seen the cooler. They've seen the, you know, all that, the full bar. You know, they've seen some different things out there. But that's not your first ride. That's not your first rodeo when you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put 100 extra pounds on my bike and go push that sled across the state. So it's a progression. You're right. And, you know, you've done some other rides that have uh, probably are not the, you know, weekend warrior ride where, hey, I think, I'll, I think I'll train 30 miles on the trail and then go do this. So some of these adventures that you've done over time has been that natural progression, I'm assuming. 
Correct. That's okay. that's that's for sure. It's uh, we talk about it when I'm fortunate enough to be asked to speak to kids or business groups or whatever the case may be. We we always end up touching that each finish line is a new starting line, and you see a higher vision of what's possible for yourself, whether it's training for your first rag bry or then maybe you're going to go try ride the Rockies or maybe you just want to get off the couch and take on your first 5k those are all when you finish them as human beings it's just what we do what's next mm-hmm. and that's um you know being you know living here in, in des moines really cool city you know we just talked about this we earlier cool and city. you know you right you've ridden your bike probably a just about every place in the state of Iowa over those those 25 years and you've ridden other events you've been out to Colorado where you're where you're climbing uh, you know pushing your limits about you know climbing up you know peaks and different things like that but somewhere along the way you say you know what this little this little race in Alaska <laughs> the, the trail ride and for those that don't quite understand uh, I think it's probably the ultimate winter endurance race in, in the world, I'm, I'm guessing there can't be too many, uh, you know, different challenges that are in that level. You know, maybe climbing Everest uh, as a climber or, you know, th- it's at that level. I mean, so few people are able to even get to the starting line of that one. So where did the notion of saying, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I think, you know, that Hawaii vacation doesn't sound as good. I think I think I'll go ride in Alaska. Where did that pop in your head? Really, it's it's a big. It's really quite a karmic joke, if you will. I used to make fun of fat tire bikes. I just thought those things are a fad. They look silly. Look like they ought to, you know, have Shriners on top of them or something. Mm-hmm. You know, running riding around in circles. And at Rasmussen Bike Shop, uh, call it five six years ago, just before Thanksgiving, we got a snow here, and there was maybe three inches of fresh snow and. One of the guys there said, hey, take it out for a spin. And so I headed down towards coming Iowa, and nobody had been on the trail yet. And and uh, I think I had my checkbook out before I got back. And within uh, two weeks, I'd signed up for the Tuscobia 150, which is a race in winter fat bike race on the Tuscobia Trail uh, in January. And it's a place where it gets I've been on that trail where it's 25 below, maybe 30, 40 below with the windshield. So it can be pretty inhospitable. But uh, So that's that's where it started. And again, I didn't even – most people have heard of the Iditarod. It's, it's world famous. It's the sled dog race. It's 1,000 miles from Anchorage to Nome. Uh, it's iconic. And uh, But I at that time, I didn't know there was a human-powered – event that took place on the same trail but sticking my toe in the water stepping into the arena whatever you want to say at Tuscobia then there were people that started talking you know you're listening and you're trying to pick up things from the old timers and trying to make sure you keep all your fingers and toes and what's this Alaska race these people are talking about so is that is that the mecca in that sport it is. It's it's the pinnacle. Okay. There is there's nothing in the human powered winter 
uh, arena that truly can lay claim to what they can, which is the world's oldest and toughest winter ultra marathon. So to kind of create the picture a little bit, we're talking, it's not the Anchorage to Nome, like the, like the sled dog race. It's the exact trail. It's, but it's, a, it's not the thousand miles, it's 350 miles on that same trail, correct? Correct. So as a rookie, and you had touched on it before, you can't, like Everest, for example, you can't just say, I got $20,000 take me you could hire a guide and go but you can't get in this race Mm -hmm. you have to you have to have a resume and you have to apply and they have to they look at that because there's there's no roads to any of these places you know if things go sideways you figure it out or bad things can happen sure real real bad things uh and so uh, but as a rookie, even with the resume, they won't let you go to Nome. The farthest they'll let you go is to McGrath, which is uh, the ITI 350, Iditarod Trail Invitational 350. And and uh, if you pass the test, uh, then you can start to consider petitioning, applying to take on the, the trip to Nome, uh, to which last I looked – one of their cool claim claims to fame is that more people have walked on the moon than have <laughs> gone human powered to gnome, which is uh, you know it's kind of cool. I mean, if you do anything silly enough, there's you could lay claim to that same thing. But it's it's a it's no joke. It's a it's an iconic trail. Wow. So I mean, that perspective, more people have walked on the moon. That's pretty elite company, I'm guessing. It's uh, like I said, you know, if if, if we decided to go to the top of the principal building and jump off of it with a parachute we could also lay claim to the same thing so i guess if you do anything silly enough anybody could lay claim to that but it's a it's a it's an event that you have to you have to prepare for you have to qualify for and then even once you're out there man everything i have done to this point in any adventure that i did did not prepare me and it's and it's why i moved up there as you know i I uh, I rented a cabin out in the hills and I I lived in it, a dry cabin, no running water, heated by wood, that sort of thing, and, and I lived there for four months to, to make sure that I was prepared. So preparing, is it as much mental as it is physical? Preparing mm-hmm. for an adventure in the wilderness, more, more, way, way more. At some point, you realize, in this endurance world as a whole, that. You cannot judge a book by its cover. Alaska has taught me some amazing, amazing lessons, and and that certainly is one of them. In in that place, in Fairbanks, in the interior of Alaska, at any moment, somebody could walk in to the coffee shop you're in or the library or whatever you may be sitting in. The person next to you that is from there, you know, or that same lady to walk into a place here you might think she's a mother of five or, you know, doesn't do this or might not do this. You, you get these judgments, these, these ideas. And in, in Alaska, the person might lean over and say that that lady right there has won the, I did a sled dog race three years in a row. And, and you wouldn't, that wouldn't have never come into your mind. So you, you realize there is certainly a physical 
component to doing it. But at the end of the day, it's it's about what's inside the book and, and not the cover. And, and Alaska taught me that in, in spades. Wow. So I'm guessing the people that towed the line for the 350, every one of them, pretty much an ultra stud on the bike or on and physical, but even higher in in their mind. I mean, to, just to even think the mental toughness, the, you know, putting yourself to every type of ex- extreme from, you know, physical exhaustion to, you know, can I survive? Will I, will I go back and ever see friends and family after this? That's, that's a bit of a challenge, uh, you know, physically. So how many people towed that line for the 350? 42. 42. And how many finished? Most? 30 plus. Okay. So we're talking. Probably, probably in the mid thirties, uh, which is a real testament to the people that are there because it was, well, Alaska is always Alaska. So there's no such thing as an easy year. But when you start talking about it, man, I, I get, I get goosebumps. It's, uh, for anybody listening, if whatever place in life that you find yourself occupation wise, or I wouldn't say hobby. For me, this is this is what I do. This is I want to live an adventurous life, and hopefully, in doing it fully, inspire others to find their adventurous life, whatever that is. Whether it be the best parent they can be, or starting that business, or just not putting off anything until tomorrow. And and so, if you think in in terms of what arena you play in, if if you were able to today, tomorrow, whatever the case may be, go sit with the 40 best people in that arena that exist on the planet. That probably gives you goosebumps. It gives me goosebumps. When I'm at that starting line, even talking about it, I can feel the goosebumps on me. Those people, I can see their faces. Some of them in a very short time, I consider them brothers and sisters already because of that just shared mentality. They're the, they're the best of the best for me. And, and, uh, and I, I want to surround my pe- myself with those kind of people because they're they're driven and they share the same goals and dreams that I do and and uh, man I, I just I hold them in such high regard. And they came from all over the world. It looks like all over the world. I I spent time with guy from Germany, Norway, different parts of the U.S. Uh, one guy was from Russia. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's it's the pinnacle. It's this is the place. If this is what you want to do, this is the ultimate testing ground. So, you go for a couple of months out to Alaska. Your training mentality while you're there, as well as you know, I mean, I'm not sure how you did mentally, but you start riding your bike on that surface. I mean, what's a what's a typical day of training for you? I mean, is it six hours? Is it eight hours and you, you sleep or, you know, is there other adventurous stuff that you mixed in like chopping up wood or, I mean, what, what is a typical training? I mean, I'm thinking Rocky music playing in the back and, <laughs> right? and, uh, when, Rocky when he went to, to yeah, Russia, there you go. Slay Drago. Exactly. That's it. That's it. I landed November 25th in Fairbanks. It was 28 below 
and the next night I was on a training ride with the local bike shop guys at Goldstream Sports. We left at 7 o'clock. By the end of November in Fairbanks, it's dark by maybe 3.30 or 4. And uh, during that training ride, uh, we were in a place called the Goldstream Valley, and, and that's a place that's even colder than Fairbanks just because of some geographic things that take place. I think we started the ride at 25 below, dark. I'd been in Fairbanks less than 24 hours. I'm riding with these people that are just tearing my legs off, you know. This is their home turf, and but beard frozen. I never felt so alive, and that was that was just a two-hour all-out training ride that they do every they do every week, and and uh, but eventually you realize that this kind of race is again, given that no one's going to show up, not fit. That's that's just that's just a given. They're, they're going to have spent some time on their bicycle. But you realize the real important thing is getting your mind right and learning your systems. What happens when you've been out there for 15 hours and you get caught in a blizzard and you're not going to make it to the overnight town to use some rag fry lingo, mm-hmm. the overnight village, the checkpoint, the wall tent that's just sitting out in the middle of nowhere that you can get shelter. And you're really cratered. You're really tired. So a lot of a lot of the training rides were learning those systems, going out for four, six, eight, ten hours, coming back to the cabin out in the middle of the woods, and not going inside. Taking your sleeping bag off. It's twenty below. You've been riding. You're tired. Taking your sleeping bag off. Taking your cooking system out. What steps do I take? When do I put my coat on first? Do I do I cook? For, food first and then lay out my sleeping bag all of these things because when you're going to need to do it on the trail it's not going to be nearly as nice an environment as I have right now because if I goof up I can go inside and I did goof up and I would go inside because 25 below 20 below 10 below 30 below they're the kind of places that mistakes can cost you and so uh, the 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 training rides would would eventually morph into as much about systems and what you're going to do when and how you're going to eat and how do you keep the hose coming out of your camel back from freezing because if you can't get to that water there's no taking your coat off to pull your camel back out and drink out of the camel back because it might be 30 below and to take your coat off to get to that camel back so you're just carrying a water bladder that you really need that you can't use so there's all of these kind of things <laughs> that if you if you don't give them proper attention. Alaska and this race will will find it, and when they find when that trail finds the weakness, it will expose it. So, the coldest day in the Midwest doesn't compare to the temperatures that you are experiencing out there. When the weatherman comes on and says, "Do not go outside because it's five below zero, because you may get into hypothermic shock or frostbite." And you're going out for eight to ten hours, five days into even colder than the the coldest day in the Midwest. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, it's accurate. And you're you're part athlete, part survivalist at this point because it's you versus nature. Nature usually wins, except for maybe forty individuals that looked nature in the eye and said, 
you're bad, but I'm badder. And so there had there had to be some doubt that creeps in, into your mind. Am I tough enough to, you know, am I good enough? Am I, have I trained enough? Did some of that creep into your mind or were you just a hundred percent? I'm going to, I'm nothing will get me. Oh man. That's, that's a great, that's a great question. Alaska scared the hell out of me. And I'll, I'll, I'll say that for me, that's become my water test. If there's something I want to do, if there's something I'm going to put in front of me now, if it doesn't scare the hell out of me, I don't think it's worth it. I would put the same test to anybody that's listening. If you if you know that what you're taking on, you're certain of the outcome, it's really no challenge. Uh, I think in Wikipedia it says the definition of adventure is has something to do with uh, outcome uncertain. And... Uh, and as far as beating Mother Nature, I think the best we hope for is a draw. And so, uh, but again, in the in the things and the lessons that Alaska teaches you, one of them that that you hear the old timers, the people on the trail, the mushers. I pay a lot of attention to mushers because they're similar to us in the bike, and that they don't they kind of generate their own wind chill. If you're walking or skiing on the trail you're not moving as quick and all of your body parts are moving so you generate more of a body temperature that that helps in that and and uh and the the real challenge is to be comfortably cold you don't really ever want to be warm sweat and dampness in any form can be a real killer on the trail but yeah there were there were plenty of times where uh, where you have that fear and and that's what led to wanting to move there and wanting to go out and test those systems. But even here in Iowa, and I will, we were joking about it the other day, I've only been back a week, but I think it was three days ago when it was 15 degrees and <laughs> rainy and the wind blowing. I was as, I was probably more cold back here than I was <laughs> at any point on the bike. But we, the old timers all tell you there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing choices. Yeah. So you obviously had to, that kind of preparation as well. I mean, from everything from socks to, you know, jackets to headwear to gloves to, you know, um, you know, prepping your bike, all those things, you're in a complete different environment than a Midwest ride. And, you know, being prepared to, I would assume, ride. I mean, I've seen some pictures too where, where you're pushing uh, a bike as well, but Obviously, you know, if you don't have that proper gear, you're, you're SOL in the middle of, of that environment. Dude, you, you got to figure it out. I think, I think we put your name on the list for next year's <laughs> 350, but it is start a little smaller than that. They have a 130. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. There you go. It's again, it's all about, it's all about the systems and you're exactly right. If you could have, and it's it's why they, they make the process to get into this thing. Um, it's interesting. It's the only winter race that I have done, winter endurance race that I've done. There's no gear list, no mandatory gear list, because they realize if you're here, you've done your work. And if you want to be here, 
our work is not to tell you what you need to do. This is, this is the end game. Hmm. This is, if you make a mistake, it's on you. We're not coming to get you. Now, you do have a tracker, and they can hit, you can hit your SOS button, but on that trail, if that happens, it's either a snowmobile team coming out to get you, or it's a bush plane flying in, and that extraction is going to cost you hundreds of dollars. And so there's a lot of different reasons you don't want that to happen, the, not the least of which is you probably are in a really bad physical place or you wouldn't hit it. And, and there, you know, not to be overly dramatic, but and no one's died on the Iditarod Trail yet, but this year uh, I was in the presence of one guy that came very close to it. And, uh, and two of my buddies that went on to Nome uh, rolled up on a musher that got caught 30 miles from the finish line in a notoriously dangerous area called the blowhole where if you get caught in a storm there, it literally can blow you and your bike or you and your dog team across the Bering Sea ice and into the Bering Sea. There's been stories, and these guys were almost one of them, where they lock down their sled dogs and their sleds, but the wind is blowing so hard that if that comes undone, it literally will blow them slowly all the way out to sea, and there's nothing they can do. So you can't – and these are – these are people, these are veterans of the trail. It just speaks to how intense the place is. And, and it's not to, it's not to make this as a gloom and doom place either, man, because I cried more into my goggles out of absolute euphoria than I did in despair and anger. Now there were some of those as well, but there were times where you just come around the bend or you would rise above tree line on the way to rainy pass and 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 the tears would just flow you just you were looking at something that that just melted you and uh and so for me those moments those cry into your goggle moments those are those are the moments now that i live for and hopefully in sharing them it makes the people that hear about them want to find their moments that way too so as a rookie, you mentioned the old timers and all that. I mean, is there kind of a legend of of these races, a Yoda that can teach the the young people, or or you know, yes. part part some wisdom? Yes. And are they just legendary folks that you stumble upon out, out yes. in Alaska? Yes. And and some of them you know before you get there. There's a guy in Idaho named Jay Petterberry, and a lot of the people listening to this, if they've dabbled in any of the gravel races that take place around here, they will know that name. This was his 10th. I did a ride and I, man, Jay, at some point, you know, just because in our connected world, this may get back to him, but I think it's his fourth thousand miler. And he covered the thousand miles this year. I think it was 15 days. The closest competitor to him was two days after that. Uh, and he's a great ambassador for our sport. But there's also, there's also, for example, I was headed up Rainy Pass, which is the crux of the 350. It's the place where bad things can happen. It's, uh, and I, I turned around because some of those Yodas had said, hey, rookie, one rule. Do not go over Rainy Pass at night in a snowstorm. And my ego almost got the best of me when I talked to you about this trail and how it pokes for your weakness. It found mine, and I went back and forth on that trail a couple times before I did make the decision to turn back. But 
on my way turning back, I ran into a guy named Bob Ostrom that was coming right at me. And after a nice little conversation on the trail, he looked me in the eye and just said, yeah, man, I'm headed to the top of that thing. It's going to be miserable, and I'm going to dance on the top of the pass. Mm-hmm. And he's another one of those guys where if he'd walk in, he looks like a stiff breeze would blow him over, but this dude was tough as nails, and, and he did exactly that. I saw the pictures from it uh, up there on the top at 2 o'clock in the morning, storm blowing so hard you couldn't see, you know, He's taking a picture of the sign that's three feet from him, and you can barely see the sign, you know. So, yeah, there are those those Yodas. And, and really, anybody that's done the 1,000 miles to Nome learns lessons because even a guy like Jay Petterberry, he's out there for 15 days. There are there are lessons, and there's are, there are things you're going to learn. And, and, uh, and because of the nature of it, indifference to maybe other times of, types of endurance events iron man comes to mind that sort of thing this is a family and they all look out for each other and if i figure out a way to keep my toes a little warmer i i tell everybody and they tell everybody because they know how dangerous that trail is but they also know if you've got everything right and you've got the right gear that in a place where others may consider it terribly inhospitable you're grinning ear to ear so memories of a lifetime, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, you've, you've tackled, what was it, about five, six days on the trail for 350 miles? Yeah, five days, five hours and 59 minutes, give or take. So give or take, all right. So, you, so you're averaging a couple miles an hour at, at best. Um, and the terrain there, give us, a, give us a, um, what's the terrain in Alaska? It's not just snow, ice, rock. What do you got there? It's one of those places, TJ, even being there for four months, I still would put my foot down, look to the left, look to the right, and I couldn't grasp it. So vast. And and on this trail, it's changing all the time. You know, Rainy Pass, the pass is 3,300 feet, which is not extraordinarily high, but you start at zero. So it would be similar to being in Denver and going to 10,000 feet, right? So it's a, it's, a, it's a decent climb. And after about 1,000 feet up, you're above tree line. And so picture the moon covered in snow. It's, it's that kind of landscape. Big, jagged, awesome peaks all around you and this incredible windswept valley. And me and two buddies went across that thing in a 50 mile an hour sustained headwind where you'd go five steps at a time and you'd have to put your foot down and turn your back to the wind so you could pull your face mask down and take a breath or two to catch your breath and then you'd do it again. We did that for five or six hours. and uh, But then over the past, going down into a place called the Dalzell Gorge, completely devoid of the wind, the trail was just magnificent rock solid you're going 15 miles an hour which after pushing your bike two miles an hour or a mile and a half for five hours you might as well be on a roller coaster you know (laughs) your face hurts you're smiling so hard the fourth day of the ride coming from uh, roan riding on uh, a frozen river that's completely windswept and you can see through the blue ice to the bottom of the river and you're riding your bike across it and then not long after getting off that river, you're in an area called the Farewell Burn, and it's this 
thousands and thousands of acres that have been burnt, forest fire, and you're just biking through this country where there's wolf tracks and moose tracks and buffalo tracks and all of these trees that have burnt, you know, there's nothing on them other than just a straight up, you know, main part of the tree and it's black. And, and, uh, and that trail was wonderful. We were going five or six miles an hour and that's really, you know, we're all, we'll all take that. We're happy with that. And then for whatever reason, you, you took a left and that nice hard pack trail just turned to white sand, three foot deep. And, and on the trail, you know, it'd be packed in from a couple racers in front of you, but it was packed in with their footsteps. You couldn't ride it. And you'd look to the horizon and you could see kind of like going down the coming trail or going down the raccoon trail or whatever the case may be. It's that sort of vision where it's tree lined and you can see, but in this particular vision in my head, it was straight. I could see all the way to the horizon as far as I could see. And I knew I was going to have to walk my bike to that place. And, and so you get everything. And, and because of that, the, the main lessons that this place teaches you, and, and there's so many life lessons that you gain from it, is patience and acceptance. Because at any point, it can go from incredibly challenging. I've been walking my bike every once in a while. The trail would blow shut if the wind blew and you would just follow the little line on your GPS. And if you somehow veered one foot too far to the left of this six foot wide trail that you can't really see, you'd fall into your hip and you'd have to push your bike back onto the trail and then dig yourself out and get back on it and hope you didn't do that again. And you'd think, my God, this is going to go forever. And in that thought, obviously, then you start to think, I'm going to quit. A $900 plane ride right now seems like a hell of a bargain. Get me out of here, you know? And an hour later, for whatever reason, you may turn the corner and you're in a completely different landscape. And all of a sudden, the trail is decent. And you forget that you had trail Tourette's just Mm -hmm. two hours ago. You mentioned wolf track and bear track. Any wildlife encounters while you're going across you would, the landscape. <clears throat> it's interesting. Um, the bears are not quite woke up yet, so you don't have to worry about them. The wolf tracks you see everywhere, especially in the farewell burn, because that's where the food is. Buffalo herds there. Uh, moose are everywhere, which means wolf are going to be everywhere. A lot of people don't know. I didn't know before I went to Alaska. Moose kill more people in uh, uh, Alaska than every other predator combined. A mother moose is a angry lady mm-hmm. and uh and everybody knows what a moose looks like and the, with six foot clearance under their belly if they decide to come for you in the snow you're not going to outrun them no they and and uh and they just they not that they're a huge problem but we had a lot of we had a lot of snow this year and because of that that leads to soft conditions and because of that moose like every other animal they're no dummy they start using the trail which I cursed every moose on the planet eventually one night because they just destroyed the trail. And occasionally, didn't happen to me, but it did happen to a buddy. Occasionally, you roll up and mom's just sitting on the trail. And she don't want to move. Mm-hmm. So you get to deal with how you're going to handle that. Okay. But uh, there were some 
fascinating stories. My, I had a couple buddies rolling up the Yukon River in a storm at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you can't hear anything. I mean, you and I in a couple of these storms, as close as we are right now, we could scream at each other. We couldn't hear each other. And they, because of that, they rolled right into the middle of a pack of wolves on both sides of the Yukon River. They couldn't see them. It was the middle of the night, but they woke them up or startled them, and those wolves started screaming. And you can imagine mm. what uh, what that do to your heart rate. Bob Ostrom, who I talked about, that went to the top of Rainy Pass in that storm. He actually, at the top of that pass, had an encounter with a lone wolf. And they were just eyeballing each other, probably both asking what the heck you're doing up here. And and so uh, you know they're always there. And it's, it's a different thing, you know. We're adults, but if we're alone in our bedroom and we hear something go bump in the night, the boogeyman all of a sudden is a lot more real. So, so many different challenges. I mean, again, that plays into your head. What was that noise? What was, you know, those tracks look pretty fresh. The, you know, um, this storm front's coming in. This, you know, all these different things. Every, it seems like every mile is a different adventure. Whereas, you, you know, like you just said, all of a sudden you're going downhill at 15 miles an hour, which, yeah, I mean, that must be like, wee, here we go. <laughs> that's, you know? I think that's a, I yeah. think that's a direct quote. Yes. I think that's exactly what I said. So, uh, but when you're, as you start to look at that little GPS and you're now starting to get down like where, hey, on the screen, I see the finish line. Oh, this, this is good that we're on radio because no one will see me cry. And that entire day has to be just, I mean, again, you mentioned words like euphoric and, and tears of joy and all that kind of stuff. I mean, just... Um, describe that those last miles of accomplishment and as you reach you know that finish line and I, I know it's not your only finish line but reaching that finish line what's going through your head as far as accomplishments or joy or what what's what's in Steve Cannon's mind as he finish finishes that race The day before, day four, night four in particular, it was a 75-mile day, and the first 40 of it were just fantastic going through a couple of those areas that I talked about, the farewell burn, and the trail was really above average. And the last 30 miles, the, the trail and the conditions, and I, it, it probably took eight hours to go 30 miles, maybe 10 Time disappeared. I disappeared. It was, but it was it was that moment where I could hear the finish line. I could hear Alaska saying, "This is it. This is where you prove to me how bad you want the prize." And I think in any walk of life or anything that any of us want to accomplish that is real the that moment's going to come that moment's going to come when the the awesome challenge whatever that is for you says to you you've chosen something unique you've chosen something that the prize that awaits is not going to just be handed to you. 
So I'm going to try to make you quit. I'm going to try to make you prove that you really want it. So finishing that night as busted up and as wide open and as down to the barest survival instincts place that I, I have never, and we talked about it before, I, I'm a month now since the race is finished, I, I still haven't completely recalibrated, if you will. So that's that's kind of the setting, if you will, for what the final day was because getting up that next morning, it was 52 miles to go, and and that day just... It was like you were on the current of the river and all you had to do is just sit in your inner tube and just let it carry you. I don't remember a single pedal stroke being difficult. I remember catching up to a couple friends, Kyle and Adam, and we shared a good portion of the day together and sitting, not sitting, but you know, a foot down on the frozen river that we were on and eating what would to most people be a really not so tasty freeze-dried meal that should be mixed with water, but you mixed it with Tang because that's the hot drink you had. And <laughs> and it may as well have been one of the finest grass-fed steaks you've ever eaten in Iowa and that kind of memory. And we were we were eventually rolling into McGrath and uh, you would see a, a light. And you don't see much light on that trail. There's not a whole lot of electricity. Some of these villages are identical to the way they were hundreds of years ago and people never leave these villages this is where they grow up they, they don't know anything different McGrath is slightly bigger so there was some electricity and there's some modernization there but Adam and Kyle had spent the day and we'd been going back and forth and a lot of time you don't talk you you're just you're just in the moment but it was it was good and Kyle who's been to Nome as we rolled in he's one of the co-race directors he said we were getting ready to make a left turn, and he said, you're a half mile. And he said, this left turn is where I try to, <laughs> where I try to take time to remember what got me here. And he wasn't talking about the five days and five hours that preceded it. At least I didn't take it that way. And so, and then he just rode off. And, and so for me, it was, it was maybe kind of like what it's going to be like when the lights go out for all of us. It was being 28 years old and deciding I didn't want to be a drunk anymore. I, I didn't want to throw my life away. I wanted to, I wanted to get sober. I wanted it to, I wanted my, my life to mean something. And, and so my whole journey to that point played out in front of me and and it was what we talked about before it was a cry in your goggles kind of moment and and uh and and for me and and hopefully for anybody out there listening that this touches a chord with that's I think that's what life is all about is how many cry in your goggle moments can you can you have wow so you got done just just five days into this talking about that last half mile you finally f finish what are you thinking about at that point what can what what, what i mean is it a i can't wait to sit down in in, in warmth is it a meal is it a beer is it 
I just want to sleep. What what plays into your head after? All right, I finally reached reached the top of the mountain. I finally reached the finish line. What what are you craving at that point? I put my foot down in front of the Iditarod finish banner. At least the finish banner for the 350. The real finish banner is a giant wooden arch in Nome if you ever are so fortunate to get there but this was this was my finish line at the time and I just put a foot down and just said holy hell I, it was just disbelief it was dis, in some ways it's still it still is still is that how has this become my life uh, we joked Adam had said the biker one of the two bikers that I spent most of the day with when we were maybe 10 miles away and we got off the trail and we were on uh, a road not a very well used road but it was a road and he said you're cruising for the man cakes now bro and i just thought it was just a funny thing to say yeah but this this couple for years that have a really nice place in mcgrath uh they've hosted everyone that finishes whether they're finishing or they're going on because from McGrath you know when the race is done it's not like you hop in a car you hop you 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 hop in a bush you hop in a a prop plane in the next day or two and load your bike on there and they have to fly you back to Anchorage there's no driving back there mm-hmm. you know you have to uh but the guy there they make this buffet dude i mean it, not like going to a high vive buffet. I mean, you just go into that kitchen and there's just food everywhere. But the the guy's claim to fame is he makes these things called man cakes and they're pancakes on steroids. They're as big mm-hmm. as your head and two inches thick and they're made of sourdough. And so they're quite famous, but I wouldn't have known that because I'm a rookie. That's but right. now I do know what the man cakes are. So <laughs> if I ever go back, I'll know that that's it. But you know, it, it really, when you say, what is it, it's it's a bit unexplainable unless you're speaking to somebody that can tell you they've accomplished something that they weren't sure they were capable of. And then you can, you can kind of muddle your way through, but you don't really have to describe it perfectly because they know. They've been in that place where they had to, they eventually were able to put their foot down and look back to when they were just holding on with the tips of their fingernails to just make it through, you know? So immediately there was no, there was no anything. It just was a completely pure moment where Alaska had taken away all the BS it had burned it right off of you. And because of the weight, the gravity of what you're doing, you just don't have any time to think about, I'm going to get there. Because it's never in that place guaranteed. So when you do, it's as if you were just in your Indy car or you were just in whatever it was that was going so fast. And then it just stops. And they go, you're done. So it really is a holy hell and you just exhale. So you accomplish what you set out to could you even imagine say hey that's great steve there's another 10 days because some of those people were have done the thousand miles yeah 
I'm sure at what point, God, that was crazy. That was insane. I think I'm up for the thought. Maybe I'll do that one day. Or is that just, you know what? I'm good. I, 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 I pushed myself to the limit. Wasn't sure I could accomplish this. Or did it just give you thirsting for, you know what? I, I think I did all right on this one. There's more. Is there a chapter two? That's a very evil question, TJ. And I, I answer it smiling. But I, I did promise myself when I finished that I would not allow myself to, to take on that question for a, for a bit of time because I didn't want to sell short the experience of finishing it, wanting to sit in it and soak in it and learn everything that it was there to teach me. Uh, but, you know, sitting there, uh, other than JP who had left a day before he'd hung out there for a day, which is pretty common, eat a lot, throw down some man cakes, and then you're heading out. This year, the weather was extraordinarily difficult. It, it pretty much snowed. Snow is not your friend out there. Um, so a couple of my very good buddies, the ones that came in second, third, and fourth, um, they were another two weeks before they would finish. Uh, Adam and Kyle, um, three weeks to do the remaining 650 miles. Three feet of snow in three days they went through. Pushed their bikes 100 miles over five days, never once throwing their leg over their top tube because they couldn't. Walking in the snow, four of us together, you break trail till you can't do it anymore, you fall back in line. People would call that a pace line. In Ragbri, 20 of us get together and we mm-hmm. share the load. This was the same thing, but it was a half a mile to a mile an hour, mile and a half an hour on foot. So <clears throat> I have a profound respect for that trail. Maybe more fear than respect. But you're not alive if whatever you just accomplished that makes you feel like that made me feel, if you just say, I'm good. I mean, at whatever point that you say, I'm good, then might as well just let the lights go out. If you're not chasing something. So you come back to the Midwest. You've been on your bike since since that. Does it even seem no, like I this haven't. is? No, I haven't. Yeah, you didn't ride over here today? <laughs> All right. So eventually you're going to throw your leg over the top tube. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's That's such a gonna, great metaphor for life, isn't it? it it's not even going to feel like it's the same piece of equipment that you were, you know, on in Alaska. I mean, you know, going over a small mountain here in this, in, you know, in the, the, the lower 48 compared to what you had just been through or, you know, got, you know, just going out to ride to coming. Um, it, it, it's probably such a different feeling now after you've had those experiences on the bike that when you come back to just, wow, I'm, I'm cruising down the trail. I'm doing, doing 15 with a smile on my face and 
there's no snow on the trail. You know, the only thing, I might have to dodge a dog. And you know what? I'm going to pull in and I'm going to see some friends over here. And, we're you know, we can have a conversation, not not screaming because the wind is howling at, at 70 miles an hour. I mean, it's just got to be – you talk about that adjustment back into – I don't want to call it the real world because probably your world is in a different perspective after that. But it's got to be just a, a little bit different in your mind after reaching up and grabbing that and being able to say, I did it. And then to come back to what you, was once your real world and, you know, being being Steve from Des Moines and going for a ride or it's just probably going to be a little bit different. And I, I would imagine some of those memories might creep back into your dreams at night or nightmares at night, um, reliving some of those challenges along the way or euphoric moments along the way. Um, maybe it, it alters your the way you look at, you know, throwing that leg over the top tube again in the, in the future. And, you know, I know you're a guy that likes a challenge, but it's still a fun activity to go if you're not spending five days across a, a tundra or just going up a 20 miler to go up to the come and tap. And I don't know how you, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're struggling to f- figure out after, you know, being on that adventure and trying to assimilate back to what most people th- think is the real world. And does it, it, it takes more than a day. It takes more than a, a week. You've been back a week. You haven't been on your bike. How many times have you gone seven days without being on your bike? <laughs> I, I, Not since 25 years ago, I'm going to guess. <laughs> it's probably been a while, man. It is. Uh, we we were grabbing coffee just before we came on, and you had asked me that. And there is a there is a re recalibration. Um, I love Iowa with all my heart. I love Iowa. I love the people here. It's, it's, in my opinion, some farmers would argue it's the crops, but in my opinion, it's our treasure. It's our people here. It's why I love your event because you, you, and even in, in your event, you get, you get the best of people from all around the world, but I'm just talking about Iowa. There's no place I'd rather come back to. It'll always be home. I'll probably spend every winter the rest of my life in Alaska to continue to explore and to go to those places that I don't even know exist yet. So finding that balance, it's a different pace here than it is in the cabin that I rented up in the up in the hills. The only noise I would ever, ever hear there is once every week or two, there was a moose that would walk up my driveway, and that that would be really the only thing I would ever hear and so there is there is that recalibration but Alaska and I mean all of these adventures they they teach you to stay in the moment and and find the joy in every moment and so but this Alaska thing it's this this journey this race i feel like i feel like it grinched me i feel like 
it took me to the top of the mountain and the sled was going to fall and my little dog was going to go with it and somehow listening to all the little who's and whoville singing that my heart grew two sizes that day and and it split wide open and so i think when i'm headed down the coming trail or i'm out on the back roads of boonville or when i'm on ragbri i think alaska i know alaska is and that race and everything about it is a part of me now. And even though I'm 3,500 miles away, it's here with me. I know part of me is still on that trail and that's good. I like that. I like being a part of that. So that's all part of the recalibration. But as with every great undertaking any of us do, if we get there to the finish line or if we don't and we have to come back again and again, and then get it. I think that makes it a worthy challenge. Maybe if, if you don't get it, you still learn lessons. You're still a different person. You've become a better version of yourself. Mm-hmm. And as long as that's what happens, I'm better today than I was yesterday, then, then it's all good. But uh, the recalibration is, 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 a, is an interesting process, and it's starting to feel better every day. And I'm glad I'm here because this is where the tribe is, and they make yeah. it easier. Well, hopefully your your story will inspire people to start that journey. And their Alaska might be a 5K. Yeah, man. It, it might be a day or 10 miles of ragbri. Yeah. yeah. That's where you started. Yeah. You think about those things coming through your mind in that laugh ha- half mile of getting up off that couch to say 10 miles on a bike is, is, is my Alaska. Yeah. That 5K yeah. is my Alaska. My a day of ragbri, a week of ragbri, or climbing a mountain in Colorado, people have to start somewhere. Yeah. No one's going to go out the next week and go do Alaska, but you got to start somewhere. Man, that's, that's, that's the journey. That is the journey. The person starting from ground zero that's doing the 5K or taking that first step towards this giant new business that they've had in their mind forever, and it means leaving their... 25-year job that's got them really comfortable, but they really want to do this. In many ways, that's that's so much more epic than what I just did in Alaska. Alaska was a progression of a lot of different things, and there was a part of me that, although scared to death, felt like I could do it, you know? Taking the first steps towards sobriety, doing my first 5K in Manitou Springs, dude, that was scary stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was, I look back, you know, those first steps are the ones that really take. And so, but if you take them, then eventually you cry into your goggles. That's right. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing those amazing experiences. Um, if that doesn't inspire you, what you just heard, um, Steve just came in and just, just shared some just absolute great nuggets of information uh, about his trials and tribulations that, and that, you know, his journey's not over. I don't know what the next pedal of his bike will be. I, you know, who knows, but nothing will tarnish those amazing memories that he shared with us today. So thank you, Steve, for coming in and um, just enjoy the ride. Amen.
But we've come to the end of another edition of the Just Go Bike podcast. Hey, this was a long one, but hopefully you found it enjoyable as as I did talking to Steve Cannon. But hey, every once in a while, we're going to change it up. But again, we're talking about the fun side of cycling. And I think some of those conversations about, you know, just tears in the goggles. I mean, if that doesn't get you inspired, I don't know what will. So appreciate you tuning in. And uh, who's this uh, sponsored by Mark? Think Iowa City and its curious surrounding communities. They do great with events. It's a great community for bicycling. And it's one of their big focuses. So if you haven't had a chance, visit Iowa City, Coralville, North Liberty, all the Think Iowa City communities. Uh, Grinnell and Bikes to You, uh, one of the great bike shops there in uh, in Grinnell, Iowa. Uh, Craig and April Cooper have some of the best uh, selections of women's clothing. They're a great Ragbright charter. Uh, all kinds of good stuff going on there right in Grinnell. Oh, and gravel. If you want to know anything about gravel, Coop's your guy. Um, and then finally, Primal Wear out of Denver, Colorado. Custom bike jerseys, shorts. I just placed my order for Bacoon Ride. Uh, we just you know, $7,000 worth of, of, of bike gear uh, for people that mm. are in, in uh, riding Bacoon Ride. Uh, Pigtails, uh, we get their jerseys out of, uh, out of Primal Wear too. So really great selection. And a variety of stuff that you can choose from. So it's uh, it's an outstanding time. Very cool. Well, hopefully you subscribe to the podcast. And uh, if you got a, an idea, a suggestion, something for Parrot Talk, hey, just shoot us a note. Send us a Facebook message, whatever, Instagram. You know, write up to us, you know, on, on a bike ride and let us know what, what we should be talking about. But, hey, we appreciate you each and every week tuning in. And I'm going to, Mark, you got any words of wisdom that you want to partner with today? I, I got nothing. I'm just waiting for this weather to break, and then I can get my mojo back on the bike. Well, like I said, if you think the weather's bad, just think about what Steve Cannon was going through as he pushed that sled across the Yukon. So, hey, Steve, thank, thank you for sharing your adventures, and we've got many more cool adventures to come on the Just Go Bike podcast. <laughs>